chapter 1. The other day, I don't know how other people, uh, other pastors prepare messages, but typically what I do is I will spend time researching and reading and jotting down some notes on a piece of paper and different things. And, and you know, it's just a process that I go through. And, and the, the other morning, as I was going through that process and getting ready to uh, finalize the message, I, I went downstairs um, to get a glass of water. I was, I was thirsty, and it was a good stopping point in my process. And so I walked downstairs, and, and Melanie is, is uh, standing at the counter um, putting together a salad for lunch. And I thought, well, why should I go back upstairs and five minutes later come back down? And, you know, because I'm old and stairs, I don't like stairs. Uh, so <clears throat> some of you probably say, well, you need to do more of those, but that's okay. But anyway, as I, as I, I came downstairs and saw that she was busy getting lunch together, I uh, just stood there and talked with her. I got my water and we were just talking. And she said to me, she says, uh, <clears throat> I got an interesting text from Cassie this morning. And I said, okay, what's going on? Because typically, you, you know, that kind of a, a, a statement precedes a, you know, Cruz jumped through, jumped off the roof or, you, you know, something, you know, uh, you know. <laughs> and so I said, so, okay, so what's going on? She said, well, Cassie was listening to a sermon this morning and the preacher said something very interesting. So she texted me what the preacher said. And I said, okay, well, what did the preacher say? <clears throat> and this is what she said. Well, she, she showed me, and I think I got it word for word for what Cassie said. This is the quote. We are stewards of our trials. By Dr. Uh, David Gibbs, Jr., we are stewards of our trials. And I just stood there and I was like, wow, that, that is, wow, what a statement. Uh, I, I, I don't know the context. I didn't listen to the sermon, so I don't know the context in which he made that statement. But I thought, you know, here I am studying for Job. And I come downstairs and Melanie reads me this text at Cassia Center with that quote. And, and, and I thought, wow, that, that's, an, that's an incredible statement. We are, we are stewards of our trials. And I started thinking about it. And can anybody tell me what is a steward? Okay, it's a caregiver. It's somebody who takes, takes care of somebody else's property. And I thought, wow. I, so I went back upstairs, and in a few, after we ate lunch, uh, I went back upstairs, and I, I started looking at verses, and I came up with uh, Matthew chapter 20, verse 8. For when uh, even was come, the Lord of the vineyard sa uh, saith unto his servant, or excuse me, unto his steward, call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning at the last unto the first. So uh, this is a verse on stewards, showing what a steward does. 
And it dawned on me after after I started studying and thinking about what a steward was, that it, this, this dawned on me. It is a manager, supervisor, not an owner. Think about this for a second. If, if Dr. Gibbs' statement is correct, and I believe it is correct, then who owns our trials? No, we just are, we are stewards of our trials. The Lord does. Now, those of you that know the story of Job, was who, who was the owner of Job's trials? God was. And I, th- I thought, wow, I had never, it had never dawned on me that often that, now, now there are times, there are times in our lives that we bring problems on ourselves, do we not? Okay, we all know. But in the context of Job, he was just a steward of the trial. And there are trials that we go through that are, are not us generated, that God brings into our lives, just like Job, that we are stewards of. Let that sink in. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13 says, uh, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therefore to be content. I know both how to abase and how to abound. In other words, I know how, I know how to starve to death and I know how to have riches. This is what Paul is saying. I know how to, I both know how to abase and how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. What an incredible, incredible thought that we are just stewards of our trials. A few minutes later, after Melanie and I sat down and started eating our lunch, or I should say I started eating, she says, I got something I want to read to you. Okay, okay, you read, I'll eat, you know. And so she, she started reading me a blog post, uh, somebody that she likes to read, some Christian lady, I don't know, person, I don't know. Anyway, um, so she's reading me this blog post, and <clears throat> in, in the midst of this blog post, this lady emphasizes the last half of Psalm 9, verse 12. Let me read it for you. He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. And the word humble here, and please, and and the, the lady that did this article that she was reading said that the word humble literally means the afflicted. And uh, so as she was reading this, she was making reference to the fact that, that God never forgets the cry of the afflicted. 
And she kept saying that over and over in this in this blog. And when she was all done reading it, she says, "Does does that is that what that word means?" And I pulled out my handy dandy uh, phone app that that shows me what Hebrew and Greek words mean. And I said, "That is exactly what that word means." God does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Here I am studying for this message, and I had to go upstairs and rewrite the whole thing because God showed me some things that I had never noticed, I had never seen. Think about this for a second. You are the steward of your trials, but every trial that you go through, every tear that is shed, God hears and remembers. Think about it. Uh, that, that, that to me is, an, is an, almost an overwhelming thought. Psalm chapter 42, verse 11. Uh, why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? David here is pouring out his heart to God. And he's saying, why, why is my soul cast down? Why am I so in so much distress? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance. Oh my God. See, David never forgot that God was ultimately in control. And that many of the trials that David went through were not of his own making. Some of them were but many of them were not. And every time he had the Lord to lean on and to get him through, even though his soul was cast down and, and, and he, 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 was, he was under so much stress, he always turned to God. One of my, what has become one of my favorite verses in Psalms, is Psalm 56, verse 8. Thou tellest my wanderings. Put thou my tears in, a, in thy bottle, for they uh, are they not in thy book. Think about that for a second. Put my tears in the bottle. Are they not in thy book? See, not only does God not forget the cry of the afflicted. But every tear that you shed, he has written it down in a book. Every tear that you've shed, he has, he's storing in a bottle for you. And he's written it in a book. And he'll never forget it. What an incredible, incredible thought for us as we uh, embark on this journey of, of the life of Job. Last week, well, let, let's, let's start off by reading uh, uh, Job chapter 1, and we'll, we'll read verses 1 through 5. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there was born unto him seven sons and three daughters, and his substance was also was seven thousand sheep and three thousand camel and five thousand yoke of oxen and uh, five thousand or excuse me five hundred 
uh, she asses and a very great household so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east and his sons went out uh, went and feasted in their houses every one his day and sent and called for their uh, three sisters to eat to drink with them and it was so when the day of their fasting <clears throat> excuse me the days of their uh, feasting uh, were uh, were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and of the uh, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all <clears throat> for the number of them all uh, for uh, for for Job said it it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed. God in their hearts, thus did Job continually. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. And Lord, I just ask as we look at your word tonight that you would speak to our hearts and that you would help us, dear God, to be more like you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. First thing I want to look at is a little, kind of a little bit more introduction still, <clears throat> but I want to look at his family. Uh, point number one, Job's family. Um, <clears throat> the title of the message tonight is Job's Prosperity, and it's important that we understand uh, all of this as we get in more into the book. He had seven sons and three daughters, and understand during this time that the larger the family uh, indicated the blessings of God on that family. Uh, so the more children that the family had, um, it was... It was perceived by people that you had the blessings of God on your ha on your family, according to how many you have. Uh, <clears throat> verse four uh, is a, a couple things in verse four I want to talk about. Um, and his and his sons uh, went and fasted in their houses, everyone his day. Does anybody understand? Know what that is referencing? Their birthdays. Okay. So, so the, the, the holiday, if you would, for the feasting that's taking place here is uh, 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 centered around uh, their, their birthdays. Now, <clears throat> one of the, I want to point out two things very quickly here. The first one is that all the children apparently got along because whenever, whenever a, a, a brother had a birthday, now, don't ask me why they didn't celebrate the girls' birthdays, because I don't know, okay? Uh, none, none of the commentaries I read made reference to the fact why, but I, I would think that it's because it was a, basically a male-dominated society at that time. So other than that, I have no answer. But every time one of the boys had a birthday, they would invite the entire clan into their home, and they would celebrate, and they'd have a feast for the birthday. Now... For one thing, I don't know if I had, let's see, seven, eight, nine, ten. If I had ten kids, I, I don't think they'd all like each other. You know what I'm saying? Those of you that come from big, big families, there's always a problem with at least one. But, but seriously, the fact that they, at least from what we can see, the little information we have, is that they all got along. That would speak very highly to the parenting of Job and his wife. Okay. 
just because you have 10 kids and all of them get along and celebrate birthdays and everything, that's a, that definitely is a positive sign. But most importantly, we see here a desire that for a godly life for these children. Look at verse 5. <clears throat> verse 5 says, uh, And it was so when the children, or excuse me, when the day of their uh, fasting uh, were, were gone about, feasting, why do I keep saying that? For the day of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offering according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now, there's a couple of things here I want to I want to point out. Number one is the phrase "curse God in their hearts." I, I find that to be kind of interesting because is that not really the theme of the book of Job? Is that not what Satan wanted to do in, in Job's life? Uh, you, you know, uh, what did, what did, what did um, Job's wife say to him? Cur- curse God and die. Just get it over with, man. But what would Job not do? He would not. See, th- this speaks of of a couple of things here. I, I can I can just, in my weird little mind, I, I can see Satan sitting on Job's shoulder saying, you know, at, at points of the, of the book, as we'll see, okay, Job, just do it in your heart. You don't have to actually say it. All you have to do is just think it. Just, just think it. How, how, how much, it'd be so easy. You don't, you don't have to say it. All you have to do is think it. This brings up another observation, if you would, that I have, is that his sons, he wasn't concerned about the actions of his sons, but the heart of his sons. Think about this for a second. Now, I read that, and the way I read it is the fact that they were moral and upright boys, and that, that they were doing okay morally and and all that but job was concerned about their hearts i have a question for you did job's children have it easy okay it's not a trick question because we we really don't know but we can assume that the the, the question the answer to that is yes yeah they're rich kids Dad's, dad's the richest guy in, 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 in the East. And, and, and if I understand it right, every one of them has their own house. So I would read that in the, in the fact that, you know, they probably got it pretty good. I, I mean, we don't know, but that's how it would appear. Let me ask you another question. When are we the most vulnerable? When things are going really good or when things are going really bad? When they're going well. Exactly. See, when, when things are going well in your life, 
what, what do we do? We get content. We, 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 we start living within our own ability, do we not? But what happens when things are going bad? I mean, we, we are 24-7. Okay, God, we, I need you. See what I'm saying? See, when things are going well, we don't need God. And what is Job doing here? Job is... is, is <clears throat> okay, let me ask you. This, this, before, I want to stop and clarify something. It would appear as though Job was offering a sin offering for his sons. Okay? He was going before God and saying, God, if they've done anything wrong, forgive them. Okay. Question. Is that what he was doing? No. It was not what he was doing. And it's really important we get this because who can who can ask forgiveness for my sins? Me, and only me. I cannot go on Aaron's behalf and say, God, forgive Aaron for what he did. I can't do that. Only Aaron can do that. And Job could not do that for his sons. But he says here, we see in verse 5, that he does something called a, uh, and near, the, uh, near the middle it says, uh, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. In other words, every time, seven times a year, he would offer burnt offerings for every one of his sons. Think about this. What is the difference between a sin offering and a burnt offering? Anybody know? Okay, let me tell you. I had to do some research to, just to make sure I had it right. A sin offering was required when a person transgressed a commandment as a confession uh, um, it was needed for true repentance of sin. So in other words, in the Old Testament, if somebody violated one of the... How many commandments were there? 613 or whatever. Uh, you know, somebody violated a commandment they would have to take a sin offering to the to the temple and offer it and they would and, and how was um there there was there was something very specific about it they would have to shed the blood of the offering it was it was only cleansed through the shedding of blood does that does that sound familiar Okay? Jesus Christ was our sin offering. Now, what is a burnt offering? A burnt offering uh, uh, speaks of a person's dedication and requires the entire beast to be burned, symbolizing the dedication of one's entire self, not just one's body, but one's mind, heart, and inner strength everything you see the difference seven times a year job offered a burnt offering dedicating his children to god seven times a year wow is right what an incredible picture for us 
And as I as I thought about this, I thought, wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, how how does this translate into our world today? My question that to you is this: How much time do you spend begging God to hold the hearts of your children and grandchildren? And I started thinking about it. I, I had not realized this until the other day. But I, I, have, a, I have a prayer book that I use for uh, praying for my children, uh, my, my, my children and my children's uh, uh, spouses and my grandchildren and, and my parents and my sister and her husband. And, you know, every, anyway, it dawned on me after reading this I, I started thinking about it, and I thought, you know what? Going back and looking at my prayer book, almost everything that I pray for my children and their spouses, everything that I pray for my grandchildren has got to do with one thing, their hearts. I can't tell you. Well, recently with my son, there's something, but I can't tell you the last time that I've prayed for a physical blessing for any of my children or grandchildren. I I just don't. Anybody know why? We talked about it this morning. If God has their hearts, then everything else is okay. But see, what was Job's concern? Job's concern was not that they were blessed physically. Job's concern was that their hearts were right with God. How much time do you spend on your knees praying for your children, for your spouse, for your parents, for your friends? What, a, what an incredible challenge that was when, I, when that God opened that up to me. So we see that God... Last week we saw that God, uh, that Job was a godly man. We see that tonight that God, uh, that Job was a godly father. And then very quickly in closing, uh, we're going to see that uh, we're going to see his prosperity. <clears throat> Verse three, uh, we see that uh, all the animals that he has listed here, uh, the the sheep and the the oxen and the camels and all that. Um, in those days, wealth was not measured by your bank account. Anybody guess how it was measured? <laughs> yeah, by your property and your livestock. That's how they measured wealth. You know, they didn't walk up and, you know, hey, what's your bank account look like? You know, it had nothing to do with that. It was, and, and Job had an abundance of all of it to the point that God says that he was, he was the greatest man in the East. Wealth was not a distraction for Job serving God. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all evil. For the love of money. Not money, but the love of money is the root of all evil. For uh, which while some covet it, uh, they have erred from the faith and, and, and pierced themselves through uh, narrow uh, uh, many sorrows. Look, look at... Look at um, uh, verse 21 of, of uh, chapter 1. Verse 21. Job says something here that is incredibly telling of his attitude toward money. 
uh, and and said, Naked came I uh, out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, see, Job didn't care about money. And and hopefully you don't care about money either. But because for Job, Job money was a tool that God gave him to be a blessing to others. Now write this, write these references down. Uh, for time's sake, we're not going to cover them. But uh, in in uh, chapter four, verses one through four, uh, chapter twenty-nine, uh, verses uh, twelve and to seventeen, and chapters thirty-one, sixteen to thirty-two. Over and over and over, Job is recorded using his wealth to be a blessing to others. Uh, 29, uh, 12 to 17. 31, chapter 31, uh, verses 16 to 32. So Job was a godly man. He was a godly father. And he was a great landowner. I want to go back real quick to the quote that Cass brought to our attention. Uh, what day was that? Friday? Thursday or Friday? Thursday or Friday. We are stewards of our trials. Now, I want to I say something here in the form of a question that I don't know if you've thought about. Is Job ready for what he's about to face? How many of you, just, just curious, how many of you are believe he was ready to face what he was about to face? Okay, I'm assuming the rest of you are, are a no. I don't believe he was. But he was prepared. Think about the difference between being ready and being prepared. Okay? How, how was Job prepared for what God was going to bring his way? He was prepared because he walked with God and that he had his priorities right. Was he ready? I, I don't think so. I, I don't know that any of us are ever ready for trials but we can all be prepared. So my challenge to you tonight is really, really simple. And and, and it's incredibly obvious, at least it's obvious to me. We all need to be prepared to go through trials. We will, we will never be ready. If, if, and, and I started, I was thinking about this. I, 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 somebody I know went through a trial recently and in the conversation, they made the, they made the statement and said, you know what, I thought I was ready. But I wasn't. We're never ready. But we can always be prepared. What's your walk look like? Are you walking with God? Are you spending time in the book? Do you, do you, know, do you know the book? How much time do you spend praying? How much time... Are you prepared? Are you walking with God? And number two, are your priorities right? 
See, Job's priorities were all right. See, Job's priority was not that his, his children were healthy. His, that he was, his, his burden on his heart was that his children were godly. There's a big difference. I would much rather have godly grandchildren than healthy grandchildren. Let, let, let me say that again. I would rather have godly grandchildren than healthy grandchildren. What's your walk look like? Dear Lord, we are so very thankful.